Christians are always going on about how bad we are, about sin and sinners. Yes, there are some evil people, and there are some who commit horrible crimes and deserve to be sent to hell if such a place exists. But most people that I know are decent folk. They're not perfect, but they're good people. And I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. I don't set out to harm people. I try my best to get on with others. And I reckon I'm all right as I am. I'm sure in this room, we can all relate to that sort of view. We might call it a traditional man-on-the-street assessment of humanity. Man isn't really that bad, and I'm not that bad. It's a view that no doubt many of us would have adhered to at a time, and it resonates with our self-righteousness. We think that our good points outweigh our bad points. And that, at the end of the day, that ought to be sufficient to satisfy any divine judge. And of course, today's cultural message has taken this on a stage further by asserting that we are inherently good, that we are even beautiful, and that if only we dig down deeply enough, we'll discover our inner beauty, our authentic self. The contemporary mantra is one of self-love, self-worth, self-virtue. It's like the L'Oreal view of man, because you're worth it. We're encouraged to take an inward turn. Look inside yourself. Discover your true self. Learn to love the real you. Become your own hero. Learn to love yourself. And come to realize that sin is not what lies within you. Sin is whatever is outside of you that would damage your self-esteem and stop you from actualizing your potential. And apologies for the somewhat flowery language, but believe me, this is the stuff now you will read and you will hear. Where does this leave the biblical message that we evangelical Christians proclaim. The gospel message that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Is our message basically redundant now? Is it unnecessary because people are essentially good? All this talk of sin, is it not just oppressive Should we not be affirming people rather than undermining their self-regard? Well, the challenge this evening is to seek to turn this roadblock 
or obstacle into a signpost to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to proceed in the usual uh, pattern for this series. I'm going to, first of all, give some points of defense of the traditional biblical position before trying to show how this objection can actually point us in the direction of faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. So I have four main points of defense. Number one, God created man good, but man is fallen. The biblical record of creation tells us that on the sixth day, God made man. And we're told that God saw all that he had created and, to quote Genesis 1 verse 31, it was very good. Man indeed was the pinnacle of God's creation. So we know that we do possess intrinsic worth. That said, it is a fact that man's initial condition didn't persist. For man abused the free will that God had granted him by disobeying him in the Garden of Eden, and man thereby fell into a state of sin. And of course, you can read all about it in Genesis chapter 3. Man became alienated from God, spiritually dead to God, and subject to physical death too. And ever since, the effects of the fall, as it's known, have been witnessed in a sorry tale of man's parting from God's ways, engaging in repeated acts of rebellion and sin all down through history. That is not to say that man cannot do works of good. When God created man, he did so, Genesis 1 verse 27, in his own image. And that imago day can be seen in acts of kindness and sacrificial love of which we are all capable. Moreover, God placed within us a conscience, a capacity to distinguish right from wrong, and a sense of guilt whenever we do wrong. And for the vast majority of mankind, that is, apart from those whose consciences are just seared by repeated gross acts of sin, our conscience acts as a break upon our sinful tendencies. So as Christians, we are not saying that all men are as bad as they could possibly be. Neither are we saying that all men are equally bad. But we do say that all men are fallen. All display a bias towards self and a natural rebelliousness against our creator. As the Bible puts it, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6. All men are corrupt. All are, in the biblical understanding of the term, depraved. 
That is, our core being is infected with sin. Number two, don't underestimate the holiness of God. Unfortunately, contemporary man has lost his awareness of the holiness of God. God is perfect and his standards are absolute perfection. As already said, when we look at ourselves, we're, tre- we're tempted to draw the conclusion that our good outweighs our bad, and that's okay. That's good enough. Moreover, we're inclined to compare ourselves with others and conclude, well, there are a lot of worse cases than me. So again, I'm basically okay. But this mindset will not suffice before a holy God. Any defect, any flaw, any transgression renders us guilty before him. Didn't the apostle James make this point in his epistle when he says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. James 2 verse 10. One offense and you are justly condemned by God as a lawbreaker. That is the standard of perfect holiness. And God will not compromise such or he would render himself less than holy. Thus, we must get away from totting up our good points and our good deeds or from comparing ourselves favorably against others. Moreover, we must abandon any concept of God that understands him as being tolerant of sin, as considering sin as of no great consequence. That will not do. His holiness will not accommodate such a misconception. Number three, sin is pervasive in mankind. And if you don't believe this, I am tempted to ask, what planet are you inhabiting? Because just look around you. See the evidence for yourself. The wars, the oppression, the injustice, the cruelty, people trafficking, domestic violence, child abuse, greed, exploitation. G.K. Chesterton famously said that the Christian doctrine of original sin is the one doctrine that can actually be proven. Look back in history. Tell me where there was a golden era of humanity living in peaceful coexistence. Or show me where in the world this earthly paradise is to be found today. The reality is that sin has characterized man ever since the fall. And I've got news for you. Things ain't going to change. Contrary to the myth of progress, man is not evolving into a more just and compassionate being. Just look at Ukraine. 
There are those who maintain that man is born innocent. They say that our mind at birth is essentially a blank slate or tabula rasa, if you're into your Latin, and is then formed according to our experience. Sin and badness then isn't inherent to the human condition, but is the product of our environment. Our problem is not one of our nature, it's one of nurture. And similarly, you'll hear man's deficiencies diagnosed, as the, especially now, as the consequence of flawed political systems and flawed social institutions. And thus, if only man were better educated, or if only we could reduce or even eliminate poverty, if only we could equalize people's life chances, if only we concentrated on rehabilitation programs, if only we transformed our political system and reformed our institutions, then we could create a society characterized by goodness. But this is to fail to appreciate that sin is primarily a problem of the individual's own heart. It is a problem of man's inner disposition. Sin is an internal disease. And don't get me wrong, external conditions can of course make things worse, but they are not the underlying problem. You can change as many external conditions as you like, but you will still be left with the evils of selfishness, greed, oppression, and injustice. The blunt reality is we are all born with a sin nature, a natural propensity to disobedience. And all of you who are parents ought to be nodding along in agreement at that point. Listen to the words of the psalmist. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. <laughs> Psalm 51 verse 5. Or listen to the words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 15 verses 19 to 20. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. At heart, sin is a problem of the heart. I'll say it again. At heart, sin is a problem of the heart. And it is simply a lie to say that our hearts are essentially good. As the prophet Jeremiah declared, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or beyond cure. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Dig down into your own heart and you'll discover that your authentic self is not beautiful but corrupt. It's not innocent, it's warped. Your authentic self is the problem. And the solution is not discovering it and living true to yourself, but realizing what you are and then seeking God's forgiveness and the new identity and nature 
that he offers you in Christ. And we mustn't underestimate the potential of our own heart for committing evil. Indeed, it is quite frightening to observe that those academics who have studied the history of genocide in our world have been struck by the ordinariness of many of its perpetrators and, of course, those who supported it, either by you know, turning a blind eye to it and not challenging it, or by actively cheering it on. Think of Nazi Germany. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line dividing good and evil runs through every human being. It is a dangerous thing to see evil only in others and not recognize the latency of evil in your own heart. And furthermore, we mustn't attempt to redefine sin to make it something less than what it really is. Sin is not something we should ever excuse, never mind celebrate. Sin is not just a bad choice. It's not just a wrong turn in the road. It's not just a character flaw. It's not just an amusing foible. Sin and sin is not just about what is done to us, what diminishes our self-esteem and sense of fulfillment. Sin is about what we do against God. It is first and foremost our transgression of God's moral law. That is why it creates within us a feeling of guilt and a desire for forgiveness. Sin is no light thing. Sin is deadly serious. Sin is evil. I know it was a long point. Number four, how do we measure, how do you measure good? How do you measure good? On what are you actually, if you say that people are good, on what are you basing your definition or measurement of good? What is good? Who defines it? Is it you? Is it society as a whole? Is it what a majority of people happen to think at this present moment? Or, and here I have the materialists particularly in view, is it just what is proved to be best for the survival and evolution of mankind? The problem with this is we have now entered the area of subjectivity. Morality becomes a matter of opinion. What you regard as good may be different to what I regard as good. And what society thinks of as good can vary over time and can vary from culture to culture. Take something like abortion. You might consider abortion as being very far from a sin. You might think it is a legitimate life choice for a woman. But others will regard it as an act of murder. Likewise, killing the old and infirm might help human evolution by freeing up resources for those who are fit and healthy. But is it a good thing to do? 
in contrast, coming at things from a biblical worldview. Morality is not subjective. It is objective. Good is a reflection of God's character. And God defines good by the moral principles set out in his word. And given man's inability to live by God's standards and principles, I am forced to conclude that man is not good, but sinful. How then might we attempt to convert this roadblock into a signpost to faith in Jesus Christ? Number one, Jesus is the only truly good man that the world has ever known. Jesus is the only truly good man that the world has ever known. There's a very telling encounter recorded in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus meets a rich young ruler who greets Jesus as good teacher before inquiring of Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, the young man didn't appreciate that everyone, most of all, or least of all himself, is sinful. As the story unfolds, it becomes evident that he thinks of himself as a good person. You know, that he's kept all the various commandments. But eventually Jesus reveals him to be an idolater because his wealth, his possessions are in effect his God. The young man, however, did get one thing right. Jesus is good. Jesus is the God-man. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. As such, the Bible declares that he was sinless. As the apostle Peter, speaking of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice on Calvary's cross, declares, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. Likewise, Peter declares of Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2 verse 22. John writes, you know that he appeared to take away sin and in him there is no sin. 1 John 3 verse 5. And the writer to the Hebrews describes Jesus as one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Want to know the standard of goodness? Want to know what goodness truly looks like? Then look to Jesus. By contrast, man falls short of God's goodness even our good deeds are regularly soiled by less than pure and noble purposes. Maybe we do them motivated by our pride. Maybe we want recognition. Perhaps we're trying to earn brownie points. Perhaps we're just trying to make ourselves feel less bad about ourselves. And thus the prophet Isaiah described man's righteous acts as 
filthy rags in God's sight. Isaiah 64, verse 6. And let it be understood, no one born into the world other than Jesus is perfectly good. And that applies to babies. It applies to that lovely old lady that you know who lives close by. It applies to the devout person who's always raising money for good causes. And it applies to those whom sections of the Christian church have canonized or elevated to sainthood like ex-popes and nuns. None but Jesus are inherently good. Secondly, the fact that you are bad magnifies the love of God. Think of it this way. If you aren't really that bad, if you're essentially okay and God loves you, well, that would be one thing. But if you're bad, if you're at heart evil, then for God to love you is a far greater thing. The love of God is made all the more glorious precisely because to him we are hideous in his sight. Romans 5 verse 7 to 8, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to die for us while we were his enemy, not his friend. He put his son through the horror of Calvary because you were totally alienated from him, not because you were just a little bit at a distance from him. Number three, if man is essentially good, or if you're not too bad, then why did Jesus die upon the cross? Was Jesus' death unnecessary? God the Father putting his son through agony for no valid reason. After all, if you consider yourself as essentially good, then could you not have made your own way to heaven? Or perhaps you think it was only for others, those particularly bad people, that Jesus laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice. Well, the Bible will not allow you to reach that conclusion. Listen to the voice of God as revealed in these verses of Scripture. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The blunt truth is that all men, and that includes you, are sinful. And Christ died for all, including you, taking the, the, the punishment for sin, your sin included. Number four, you cannot be saved unless you are prepared to admit your sin. If you persist in your attitude that you're really not that bad, then you will never know 
God's salvation. Only those who acknowledge their sinfulness and who repent of it, that is, agree with God's verdict on their sin and desire to turn away from it, and who come to the cross, accepting that Jesus died in their place, and who resolve to live under his lordship, only they are saved from God's wrath and receive eternal life. There is no other way of salvation. As Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, verse 6. Unfortunately, there are a great many people who think that they are good enough to qualify for their version of heaven, that the scales will tip in their favor, the good will outweigh the bad. That has to be nailed as a false belief. No matter how decent or morally upstanding, no matter how charitable or kind, no matter how religious, attending church, saying your prayers, putting money in the offering box, no matter how spiritual a person you consider yourself to be, no one will ever be accepted by God should they refuse to acknowledge their sin and the personal debt that they owe the Lord Jesus for his atoning death. The greatest obstacle to accepting God's way of salvation is arguably pride and self-righteousness. And let's be honest, it's a spirit of pride and self-righteousness that more than often lies behind the assertion, I'm not that bad. If you're tempted to say or think this, you need to listen very carefully to the words of Jesus. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5 verse 32. I say it somberly. Hell will be full of people who thought that they weren't that bad. No amount of discovery of your authentic self is going to make you right with God. Rather, you need to die to self. Likewise, self-reformation, or what you will often hear today quoted as becoming a better or the best version of yourself, will never suffice to alter God's verdict on your condition. You do not need self-reformation. You need regeneration. You need to be born again of the Spirit of God. And fifthly and finally, God is actually committed to making you good. If you're willing to exercise faith in Jesus, receiving him as your Savior and Lord, then God declares you righteous in his sight. That is the biblical concept of justification. Put your faith in Jesus and God declares you right. Christ's own righteousness is imputed to you. Hence to quote 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 in its entirety, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. Through faith in Christ, we're declared right with God. But more than this, the moment that we believe in Christ, we receive God's Spirit, who begins a work of making us righteous people in practice. God's Spirit will produce new desires within your heart, desires for holiness, for righteousness, for goodness. That is the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Now, of course, we will not reach the end goal of sanctification in this life. That is impossible because we still retain a sin nature. But one day, we will be perfectly righteous when we get home to glory. And thus in Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul declares, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Then it will be so that our condition will match up with our status. We will not only be righteous in our standing before God, we will be good in our very constitution. That is the Christian's hope. So for anyone who comes or he adopts the, this objection, he cites this objection that I'm not that bad, I want to leave you with a challenge. Are you prepared to reassess your goodness in the light of the Bible's clear teaching on the subject? Are you willing to admit your sin? Are you willing to admit that you too deserve punishment for your sin? Are you willing to admit that any claim that you can obtain God's favor is bogus? Are you prepared to come to God through his appointed way by repenting of your sin and receiving Christ as your personal savior and Lord? I said in love, outside of Christ, whilst you're no Adolf Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer, and no doubt you will have many laudable aspects to your character. Nevertheless, in God's eyes, you are not a good person. You are a sinner. You may be less of a sinner than many other people, but you're still a sinner. Before a holy God, you are not okay, and you are certainly not beautiful, and you're certainly not a hero. Rather, you are corrupt and defiled by your sin and you're under his just condemnation. But the good news is that whilst, yes, you are bad, you are not beyond redemption. You are not irredeemable. For Jesus Christ died for your sin, which, by the way, includes the sin of self-righteousness. And if you're willing to come to him, receiving him as your personal savior and Lord, then he will give you his perfect righteousness. And you can have no fear of being condemned by God, but anticipate life in his eternal presence. Then you will flourish. Then you will live as God intended. And then you'll truly be able to say, not, I'm not that bad but 
due to Jesus Christ, I am good. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.